Welcome to Capital Punishment, a podcast brought to you by News Radio KFGO. Over the last two years, the Office of North Dakota's highest law enforcement official has been under a cloud of grief, suspicion, and tumult, some of which has been laid bare to the state's citizens through public hearings and dogged reporting. But significant and critical information has also been withheld from the people of North Dakota, shrouded in secrecy and darkness, deliberately and without regard, not only for historic preservation and open government, but also for taxpayer dollars and public safety. Who is behind the cover-up? What are they hiding? Why are they doing it? Who are they protecting? What has been lost? When will those involved be held accountable? At KFGO, we've been asking ourselves these questions since the day Wayne Stengem died. The sudden death of the longtime respected attorney general sent shockwaves around the state. But it has been the astonishing and disturbing discoveries that have come to light in the wake of Stengem's untimely demise, which have created enough of an atmosphere of mystery and doubt in the minds of the people here and of the citizens of North Dakota that compelled us to make this podcast. What kind of pressures was the attorney general under when he died? Why did the people close to him feel they needed to protect those secrets without regard to their own careers or reputations, or even the law? What are the implications for the state, for the victims, for open records integrity, for multiple open investigations? We'll explore all those questions over the coming episodes as we walk through the days, months, and years leading up to and following Stengem's death. We'll try to untangle confusing plot lines. We'll attempt to talk to key players whose voices haven't previously been heard connect some of the dots that didn't even seem to be part of the same puzzle at first glance. Try our best to give you the most comprehensive picture of what we know now about the death of North Dakota's longest-serving attorney general and the swirl of controversy that remains in his wake. I'm Paul Jurgens, the news director at KFGO, and this is Capital Punishment. Just before 8.30 on Friday morning, January 28, 2022, when a 911 call came into the Central Dakota Dispatch Center. A man was found unresponsive. The caller said the victim was beyond help. Bismarck police were the first to arrive on scene. North Dakota Attorney General Wayne Stengem was lying in the front entryway of his home in Central Bismarck. An officer attempted to find a pulse but could not. Stengem was not breathing. An AED machine was placed on Stengem's chest, but the machine signaled an alert that no shock was advised. When officers commenced CPR, a dark, blood-colored, watery fluid started flowing out of Stengem's eyes, nose, and mouth in what the police report described as large quantities. Bismarck Fire personnel arrived shortly thereafter and took over the CPR. Within about 15 minutes, a Bismarck police sergeant had assigned two detectives to the case, describing it as an unattended death. Chief Dave Drevich called... Lonnie Grabowska, the head of the State Bureau of Criminal Investigation, which is a division of the Attorney General's office, to tell him as a courtesy that Stengem was dead. But then somehow emergency responders were able to find a pulse, and Wayne Stengem was transported to the Sanford ER by Metro Ambulance about 30 minutes after police first arrived at his home. He was put on a ventilator at the hospital. The 911 call was made by a contractor who had been working with another man to remodel a bathroom in the Stengem home. The contractor told police that when he and his partner entered the house that morning, they found Stengem unresponsive, lying on the stairs. He was wearing an inside-out sweatshirt and boxer shorts. They moved him to the main floor and called 911. 
The contractor told police he'd previously worked as a coroner in Colorado for 10 years and was convinced Stengem was dead. He said that while Stengem was still warm to the touch, he shined his flashlight into Stengem's eyes and his pupils did not react and he could not find a pulse. When his partner attempted a chest compression, the coroner turned contractor said black fluid had come out of Stengem's mouth. Sometime after 9 a.m., Bismarck police detectives reached Stengem's wife, Beth, via phone. She was in the Deadwood, South Dakota area that week. She told police that her husband was supposed to be traveling, but had come home earlier that week after complaining of flu-like symptoms. She said she'd spoken to Stengem the night before, and that while he had claimed to be feeling better when they spoke, she had asked a family friend, John Brocker, to go over to the house to check on him. She told them Stengem did not have any medical conditions of concern. Police then reached out to John Brocker, who told them he'd gone over to the Stengem home twice the day before. The first time was around 10 a.m. when he brought Stengem some chocolate milk. On Thursday morning, Stengem was scheduled to join the monthly land board meeting by video conference. His office had confirmed he would be there. But when the meeting convened at 9 a.m., Stengem did not join his plant and his office was alarmed by his absence. John Brocker went back again, and after being asked by Beth at around 10 Thursday night, he brought Gatorade, Alka-Seltzer, and a thermometer. Brocker told police he did not have any communication or contact with Stengem on either of those visits because he told investigators Wayne didn't want to speak to or see anyone. The contractors had previously told police Stengem had tried to separate himself from people as he believed he had the flu. Investigators with the Bismarck Police Department found black fluid on a pillow in Stengem's bedroom. Word that Stengem had been transported to the hospital started trickling into KFGO from sources midday. Initial reports were that his condition was dire. Hours passed with conflicting reports. Then at 3 p.m., Stengem's brother Alan told media Stengem was suffering from an inflamed ulcer, and contrary to everything that had been reported previously, that he was both stable and responsive. At 7 p.m. on Friday, January 28, 2022, nearly 12 hours after first responders arrived at his home, the Office of the Attorney General released a statement that Wayne Stengem had died. For more, we turn to host of News and Views, Joel Heitkamp, and host of Afternoons Live, Tyler Axness. Well, the first time I heard that, that Wayne had died, uh, what I thought right away was, how? Tyler, I, you know, I didn't think that I didn't instantly think it was a natural cause and, and that's a big red flag. And Lord knows I'm not a doctor, but I thought how, well, and uh, the day itself was so confusing. Uh, I remember just what is actually the reality of what's going on out in Bismarck. Cause we heard at first that, yep, uh, we believe that he had been deceased. Then we heard, nope, he's on his way to the hospital. And then we heard from his brother that, quite frankly, you know, he's he's in the hospital right now. So then there was that sigh of relief. I remember that, okay, you know, Wayne's still with us, the attorney general, for that time. And then later on that night is when word came out officially that he had passed and just being very confused on top of being concerned for his well-being. Well, not only that, but, you know, you're you're thinking – because of the way they handled it, that you've got contractors, you've got law enforcement officers who all feel that he's dead at the site, which we didn't know then. But the one thing we did know is his brother lied to us. Uh, yeah. We know that Al lied to us. In fact, he, he came out later on and, and said that he lied to us, which to me put up the big red flag, which was, okay, what was it that he was lying about? And, and why? 
why lie about a public official who, of course, with that public official comes public attention to something that can be very personal. And this is a very personal thing, but there's got to be a motive to want to put out a false statement from L. Stengem, from the attorney general's office in that state of which we didn't have any clarity. Why lie at that moment is still a question that I don't know that we got an answer to. Well, and not only that, but, you know, we're expected after the lie to trust why the lie. Yeah. And I'm not sure that I do that. Yeah. I, I'm really not sure that I do that. The last time I saw Wayne Stengem, he didn't look good. He didn't look good. I don't know if he was unhappy. I, You know, they're using words like the flu. I don't know. I, I do know this, Tyler. I'm not ready to take these folks for their word anymore. I think that they've earned that level of scrutiny because when they c- come out as they did on that date in that time and lie, and you've seen a pattern of other cover-ups now throughout this whole ordeal, it there's there's a lot of work to be done to try to build up a trust, and I don't know that it happens anytime soon. Well, and the the other part to all this is had he died at home, had he been pronounced dead at home, there automatically would have had to have been an autopsy. Well, by taking him to the hospital, we know that it's up to the coroner or the state's attorney to not require an autopsy. Yeah, the, the conflict's there, and you're right about, they could say it's speculation, and because of their doing, that's all we're left to do is speculate. We can't get answers, and some of those answers I think you need further scrutiny on because they've made it a point that they're not to be trusted on face value. On February 4th, the day after his funeral, Wayne's family put out a statement through the office of the Attorney General announcing that Wayne died of a heart attack. No autopsy was conducted. Doctors told investigators there was no trauma to Wayne's body or anything else that was suspicious about his death. Our producer Eric Johnson talked with Dr. Thomas Kuhn, a retired gastroenterologist, to better understand the scene of Stengem's death and the information found in the police reports from that morning. I shared with you the police reports surrounding the death of Wayne Stengem. My first question is, what jumped out at you as some things that could have uh, led to the death of Attorney General Stengem? Well, uh, of note is the fact that I think it's pretty clear from the descriptions that he was having some upper gastrointestinal tract bleeding um, because they described the uh, typical odor of uh, blood in the uh, upper gut, one of the uh, investigators, and that the black fluid that was coming out of his mouth uh, once CPR was started sounds like uh, what we call coffee ground emesis, and and one of the investigators uh, referred to it as such. So um, I don't think there's any doubt that he had some upper gastrointestinal tract bleeding. Um, Certainly, it could have been... uh, incidental to what was going on. Um, he, he was uh, feeling poorly before he came home from his vacation, thought he had the flu, and they did find uh, Alka-Seltzer uh, in the home. And Alka-Seltzer you know, does contain aspirin, which, which can cause uh, upper gastrointestinal tract bleeding. Um, and also it's very possible he may have taken some other non-steroidal medica- medication for symptoms of a flu you know, such as, uh, you know, Advil or, or one other uh, non-steroidal, which also could contribute to gastrointestinal bleeding. I don't think the bleeding was massive um, enough to cause death because uh, they didn't describe uh, any red blood. 
Um, and for you to die from an upper gastrointestinal bleed, it has to be a pretty severe uh, hemorrhage um, acutely uh, or certainly a longer period of uh, ongoing bleeding without red blood. And this sounds like it was just a, an acute finding. So, you know, I think that he, he probably had some upper GI bleeding, uh, but, but probably uh, incidental to some of the medications he was taking for his uh, flu-like symptoms. In the reports, we, we saw that uh, this dark fluid was coming out of mouth, nose, and eyes. Is, is that common in an upper GI when CPR is administered? Well, I think if your stomach's full of blood, old blood, it certainly can come out of your mouth and nose. And there are, certainly are some connections between the, uh, you know, the eyes and, and the, uh, the nose. So that might explain the fluid from the eyes. But that's, that's very unusual. I mean, I've, I've, I've never described that or, or seen that as normally described. But clearly, they described, the, you know, finding it on the towels. They found it in, in the bed. Uh, so I think this was uh, blood from the stomach. In the report, we saw that an, an AED was administered, but uh, a shock was not advised. Uh, what does that tell you in this circumstance where reports were pulse was difficult or not present, but uh, this AED wouldn't uh, administer a shock? Right. I mean, the uh, shockable rhythms uh, really are only ventricular tachycardia, ventricular fibrillation, and supraventricular tachycardia. So um, he, he did not have any of those. Um, you certainly can have uh, uh, electrical activity without a pulse, uh, and it will not shock that, uh, or you can have uh, no activity at all. Um, I, I think he may have had electrical activity without a pulse because they, uh, when he got to the emergency room, um, he was, uh, it sounds like he was intubated and uh, put on life support, which would uh, indicate that he, he may, may have had some electrical activity when he got to the emergency room. Final question I have for you, Dr. Kuhn. As you've read this reports, obviously we're limited by the fact that there was not an autopsy that was administered, but does anything in these reports say to you heart attack? Well, I mean, he was found, um, you know, basically at death's door if, if he wasn't already dead when, when they got to the home. And so could he have had a heart attack? Uh, sure. But um, and, and that this the, the upper GI bleeding was just uh, incidental. Um, but there's, there's nothing specific in those reports that would say yay or nay to that. Speaking at Wayne Stendrum's funeral, Pastor Lori Natwick, Jim Pullman, and Nicole Pullman. Wayne is one we loved so dearly, and there was so much there to love. Thank you so much for asking Nicole and I to speak about Wayne today and what he meant to us as a public servant, but as especially a friend. As we sat down to assemble our thoughts about my friend and mentor Wayne, two things came to mind. Never did I think that we would be speaking of him in the past tense and how hard it is to organize thoughts like that. My second thought was, how the heck are we supposed to do justice to the greatest order that North Dakota has ever seen? One of his most important roles 
was as a protector of the people's right to know by both writing and enforcing our state's open records laws. No one in North Dakota politics has had a more consequential career impacting every North Dakotan and making our state and its people safer for the past 21 years. Wayne Stengem will go down in the history books as the longest serving attorney general in North Dakota's history and certainly one of the most impactful. More from Tyler Axness and Joel Heitkamp. You know, Tyler, somewhere along the way, Wayne changed. Uh, the Wayne uh, Stengem that I worked with in the North Dakota Senate when I got there, uh, he, had, he was a veteran by then, he, even though I, he wasn't that much older than me, but he got elected at such a young age uh, from Grand Forks. And, and when you went over to that area, the Ray Holmberg, Wayne Stengem area, you were in a very tight clique. I'm not saying I ever made it into that clique nor wanted into that clique, but it was a clique. And uh, Wayne Stengem was effective. He he loved chairing the Judiciary Committee, even though they weren't known to be the hardest working committee. But Wayne was was actually, you know, very good at the process. And he and Ray together made a pretty formidable team in my day. Uh, and in my day, Wayne Stengem had already been the Attorney General for quite some time and uh, had that almost... I don't know if you want to say rock star aura for those that were still in the Senate, the chamber that he was at. Oh, yeah, Wayne this, Wayne that. You see him in the hallway. I always greeted you and said hello. Uh, very cordial in working with him in, in my first session in 2013 with the law enforcement bill. It was Stan Leeson and it was Wayne Stendrum and me as a 26-year-old Democrat working on a bill that was backed by certain areas and law enforcement. And he was always willing to help craft it as long as he had a piece of it that came through. So that was the essence of the Wayne Syndrome. I knew that, hey, he had served his time, he had earned the respect inside that building, and I think that led into the whole Wayne Syndrome's this uh, individual that you would never question anything. He's on the up and up. He's proved it. He's earned the status to go and do what Wayne Stengem wants, and he's got that. He's talk about a click. That click went from your day all the way through this day, just different names and the Troy Seibels and the Liz Brockers and those cliques that really surrounded Wayne Stengem to allow him to do what he wanted and only be told what he wanted to hear. See, in, in my day, and I think it continued on, actually you saw it in his time in the in the Attorney General's office and in his personal and private life, there there was a closeness between Wayne and, and Ray Holmberg and, and Jim Pullman and and individuals like that. I mean, they, they were this caucus that everybody talked about. That uh, you know, they they had they had issues in their caucus or in in what they did. Uh, but the truth is, they always stuck up for each other. And so, the, Wayne, when when he became attorney general, the one thing that I knew was that Wayne, whether Doug Burgum was all in on trying to get the Republican nomination, he would lose to Wayne. Uh, at that convention. And Doug knew that. His advisors knew that. And that's why he instantly announced that he was going to go to the primary because he knew he couldn't beat Wayne at the convention. And that's the reason that I don't think Doug Burgum ever really connected with the Republican Party because Wayne was that popular. The insiders are always going to be pissed at Doug Burgum. Yeah, well, I think he coined them the good old boys club 
Uh, and I, I mean, he was talking about Wayne Stedgham. He was talking about Jim Pullman and Ray Holmberg, that click that you allude to. And I think it's evident the fact that uh, Wayne Stedgham selected Nicole Pullman to be his lieutenant governor running mate at that time. Uh, someone that I served with, uh, you know, Nicole Pullman was just, uh, you know, across the row from me. But it shows that that inner circle, that inner tight knit group always had each other's backs back in your day through that time through 2016. And then to go on and be the next governor, because everybody knew Wayne Stengen would be the next governor. Uh, and then to have that ripped away by a guy that had a lot of money, spent a lot of that criticizing that good old boys club. It seems as though that was the moment that change when you say about the latter stages of visiting with Wayne or seeing and that maybe just wasn't that same Wayne that you served with I wouldn't be surprised if that defeat in 2016 set dominoes tumbling down of just his own psyche because he was unstoppable winning by large margins throughout his career before then see what what Wayne and and Ray Holmberg and Jim Pullman to me mean is that they're very good at sneaking behind the back and getting what they want, backdooring that deal. Now, that being said, when you look at, you know, how whether or not they succeeded, you have no question that they succeeded at many things. But in the end, the one that was the most important, that governor's race, they didn't succeed. Mm -hmm. And in the end, to me, it came down to a, a defining moment in her career. You know from working in the Capitol that right across the Great Hall from the governor's office is the attorney general's office. You know from all the friends, connections, colleagues that you have there, they didn't talk to each other. Right. They didn't like each other. Uh, you saw from the votes at the Industrial Commission that they didn't support each other. Um, it was more like Wayne Stengem and Doug Goring against uh, Doug Burgum. You know, it, it showed up in governing every day. They say all politics is personal. Well, this was personal on a more deep level between individuals, and it was all because of a, a, a race that had been won. I mean, it was fought along the way, and it was done in a way that really criticized the long-time work that those insiders have been doing. When you call somebody the good old boys club, and I'm going to be the individual, the outsider that comes in and breaks up the good old boys network, and then you got to sit on a three-person panel and work with two of those good old boys, it's uncomfortable, and I think that showed throughout those years. Well, and and that's my point in, yeah. in raising names like Ray Holmberg and Jim Pullman because you you know how vindictive they can be. No, yeah. I mean, they can be vindictive. Uh, these are individuals that, that have, you know, a lot to hide, as we're finding out with Ray Holmberg. And so there were people that protected that, and there's people that didn't. I don't think that we're stomping on a dead man's grave by asking those questions. While Wayne Stengem enjoyed a practically spotless record during his long tenure as Attorney General, the months leading up to his death were not smooth sailing. The mismanagement of the lease and renovation of a new building his office had recently moved into was threatening to turn into a full-blown scandal, with his chief deputy at the center of it. Just three weeks before he died, a federal appeals court upheld a federal bankruptcy judge's ruling against Tensham's office in a complicated 17-year-long legal clash with businesswoman Susan Bala. Bala was convicted by a jury in 2005 of running an illegal gambling operation in order to forfeit more than $99 million in what prosecutors said was the state's largest illegal gambling case ever. However, the forfeiture and verdict were later overturned, and the three-judge panel confirmed a lower court ruling that the state must refund Bala's business nearly $16 million. 
Perhaps most troubling, two months before Stedgem died, his best friend's house got raided by Homeland Security agents. Because the state BCI was also involved in the case, Stedgem was made aware of the federal investigation into that friend, State Senator Ray Holmberg. Stedgem announced in December of 2021 that he would retire after his current term the following year. He would die six weeks later. The time is right for this to uh, come for retirement for me. The decision was especially hard because I have really enjoyed working with the professionals in this office who are dedicated public servants who come to work every day trying to make North Dakota a better place to live and work. The citizens of North Dakota have elected me to this office six times and it has been an honor beyond measure. Next time on Capital Punishment, what was Senator Holmberg, Wayne Stedgem's best friend, under investigation for? Capital Punishment is a KFGO News Radio production. It is hosted by me, Paul Jurgens, created by Tasha Carvel and Eric Johnson, written by Tasha Carvel and Tyler Axness, produced by Eric Johnson and Abby Miller, with contributions from Joel Heitkamp and Tyler Axness.